Welcome to the Brian Pergosi Podcast. That is me. Really grateful to have Samuel Bonder and Linda Groves Bonder with us. Welcome to you both. Thank you. It is good to be here. Thank you, Brian. And I was just sharing that you and I, Samuel, we had a, the, I'm not even sure how it all came into being. I think the gods just, you know, brought it in magically, synchronously yeah. into being. But we had a conversation a few years ago. It was just a really incredible conversation. We may have probably talked for like two hours or something. And yeah. <laughs> said, so, wow, we should be recording this, you know. And now, now here we are. So now we're recording it and people yeah. will get to hear the wisdom that, that comes through. And um, why don't you guys start off sharing how would you, how you would describe like what you do and what you offer in the world and who you are. And it's always a funny question for people like us is like, who are you? You know, it's always sort of like, uh, there's a, a lot of different levels to answer that question, but let's stick with the relative human worldly level. Uh, who are you? <laughs> what up? <laughs> Good. You wanna jump in my love? Well, sure, thank you. Yeah. Um, gosh, Linda, Linda, who am I? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'll give you a little bit of a history here. I was raised Catholic in Muncie, Indiana, uh, to a large family. And at a young age, I realized that Catholicism was just confusing to me in many ways. And as a young teenager, I realized I really need to move into something different. And so I talked to my mother about not going to church. She said, when you're old enough, and you make that conscious decision, that would be fine. And it was, and my mom was really cool about that. So that led me into college, exploring a lot with um, art. And I was an art major and theater and music minor and graduated with those degrees. Moved to California. <clears throat> and boy, that's when my spiritual seeking really opened up when I moved and started exploring all kinds of different things out here for many years. I got into the music business and did a lot of musical plays and these kinds of things. I was a singer with my sister and another partner for many years, Hellman and Groves. And even through that time, I found myself exploring who am I? You know, I feel like there's something more to just Linda, the personality, the singer, performer. Who am I? In what's my goal you know as being a, a person of service I felt like with the music that was a form of service that was a way to touch people to open them up to some of our original material as well as copy songs and it wasn't enough and so eventually I started exploring simultaneously with working and doing music and all of that exploring many different threads of spirituality, if you will, of different articulations. And it led me in 1994 to Samuel Bonder. All this seeking kept showing up as, okay, this is great. I'm getting a, a jewel here and an aha moment here, but it's still not satisfying what I called the void. It was like in my belly, something was missing and I, kept doing different things to find that missing piece. When I saw Samuel, sat with Samuel a few times, I realized this is where I belong. And a lot of my other 
practices and disciplines fell away. I found myself really focused on waking down in mutuality, which is what Samuel founded many, many years ago. And eventually I had a, an awakening and a second an awakening with Samuel, which we call the second birth. And what that is, is it's conscious embodiment. It's having an awakening in and as consciousness, but very much in life, in the body, all parts of self, totality identity, connected with all things, all others. And I was very intrigued with his teachings around the core wound, around mutuality. Back in the day, that there wasn't really a lot being talked about about mutuality and embodiment. And when Samuel talked about embodiment, really landing here fully and giving your gifts to others, that just sang to me and it opened me up and, it, and I realized that I wanted to become a teacher of waking down a mutuality, which I did many, many years ago. And I've partnered with Samuel. We, we became intimate partners in 96, or yeah, no, 95. 95. Yeah. Getting my timeline here. And then I just, I've been with him ever since. And we do our work together. And what we do, just briefly, and then Samuel can jump in with his story, is we, we actually connect very much one-on-one -on -one as well in, uh, as in groups to help individuals really find what is that missing piece, that void perhaps, if you wanna go back to my story. What is, what is missing in your life? And are you looking for conscious embodiment? Are you looking for, for this profound awakening not just in the field of consciousness, but as consciousness or being or presence or freedom and having it be every part of who you are cellularly. And through the years we've helped hundreds of people have this particular kind of realization that is this, I keep going like this, you know, the, the marriage between spirit and matter, matter and spirit, no separation non-dual realization so and that takes many many forms in our work so we can talk about that a little bit too but I want to pass it off to my dear husband and partner Samuel okay um is there anything you wanted to <clears throat> check in with Linda or I, <clears throat> yes but I'd love to hear from you first right yeah so um You know, I think I'll, I'll I'll start with the current time answer to that question, and then go back and fill in a little bit. Um, Linda, as she indicated, uh, has been professionally uh, a singer and songwriter, and she's a, an extremely gifted visual artist, uh, photographer. Um, so you know, her whole identity, in many ways previous to coming into this kind of service uh, has been that, that of an artist. Um, and for me, at a certain point, not long ago, I realized, you know, we both kind of got the, the artistic temperament, uh, but my main form uh, is in trying to articulate, the Eastern word for it is Dharma, mm -hmm. meaning, 
it's often translated as teachings or truth, the law of life. But at a, at a more fundamental level, it's that which sustains and that which brings us into our fullest realization and expression of who we are. And so, uh, you know, for the last 28 plus years, since the awakening that I went through, that's in, you know, analogous to what Linda was describing, uh, I feel like I've, I've been in many ways a Dharma artist. I'm continually finding you know, new ways to articulate, uh, hopefully better ways, more clear and, and also expressive of, of, of what this whole being awakening or activation uh, is about. And, um, you know, the, the background story for me is uh, I was born of Jewish parents in New York in 1950. Uh, my grandparents had all immigrated from the old country, Eastern Europe and Russia, Western Russia, Ukraine. Um, we were Jewish by culture, but there was no God in the middle. Uh, which uh, I think has been a, a common experience of a lot of uh, Jewish people of, of certainly my generation. And, uh, and nonetheless, um, you know, my, my sister and I went to Sunday school to learn Jewish culture and history, and I was bar mitzvahed. Um, but none of that really grabbed hold of me. Uh, the, the big shift in that area was when I, when I got to college, I went to Harvard and um, uh, I arrived, uh, I grew up mostly, we had moved to North Carolina and lived in a small town where my father was a VP of a garment manufacturing firm. So I grew up surrounded by Christianity. There were almost no other Jews in our, our little town. We went to a synagogue in Raleigh. Um, and what wound up happening was I wound up going to a, a small Southern prep school where the emphasis was on personal integrity and honor. I mean, it was, it was challenging academically, but really that honor thing was what they really harped on, which, which had a lot of meaning for me over time. I got to Harvard and of course that was like in 68, 69, that was, you know, going from these tiny towns and villages in, in the South to this huge metropolis that was, you know, the anti-Vietnam War movement was in full swing, the counterculture, everybody was smoking marijuana and trying psychoactive drugs and so forth. And I did my share of that. And um, I was also an activist uh, and actually almost got thrown out for protesting the university's complicity <laughs> with Dow Chemical, which made napalm. I never regretted my, my taking a stand for that. But by the next year, all the activist wind had gone out of my sails. Uh, I felt I, I was overwhelmed and kind of crushed by this insight that came out of nowhere. I wasn't studying writings or going to lectures. Just this insight that everybody was so bound up in our own stuff. It's like we were on the inside of a cage or shroud with inward facing mirrors. We're all always really only seeing ourselves and hardly ever actually encountering the world and others. 
And that prompted in me a kind of a prayer of, you know, God, if you exist, <laughs> I sure hope you do exist, because I don't see any way out of this except, you know, help me out here. And help came. You know, I began to feel like something was happening. These synchronicity events, as we talked about them back in those days, you know, magical coincidences taking place. It's like the meaning of it was, okay, maybe there is some God here which then led to, importantly, the study of Martin Buber's wisdom, I and Thou, and his strong emphasis on relationship, which really stayed with me. But I developed a desire for a more transcendent God, an identification as possible. And that led me to the East. And <clears throat> I had a couple of uh, very profound uh, ecstatic dissolution experiences. One uh, kind of a, a, a kundalini ascent uh, after reading uh, autobiography of a yogi. But then another one somewhat later, I began to despair of ever being able to get up there again. And I had a different experience in my heart uh, through the teaching and presence of a sage named mm -hmm. Ramana Maharshi who had died actually in the, in the mid 20th century before I was born. But his, his presence, uh, you know, he used that beautiful phrase, the big glow. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to me, there's this white hot, I later, many years later came up with the phrase, infinitesimal immensity. I mean, you can't make sense <laughs> of it, but it just burst forward, you know, a little tiny distance forward and up in actually the right side of my chest. It wasn't the central chakra that a lot of people know about. Uh, and it wasn't the, you know, the mass of the physical heart on the, on the left. And that, that became so compelling that really, as I look back, uh, that was when my life's work really got underway. So it took about 20 years to realize it, most of which was spent as a devotee and disciple of a powerful American-born tantric adept uh, named, eventually named Adi Da, Da Frijan was one of his other names earlier. And eventually I had to leave there for two reasons. One is that he had kind of given up on my having what it takes to awaken the way he was proposing it needed to happen. Uh, and at a deeper level, I felt, I mean, he was kind of and I don't mean disrespect, and I'm very grateful for what I received, but he was kind of the classic guru as monarch. And, um, and what wound up emerging around him was in some ways like the court of a king. Um, and at a certain point, I realized I had so kind of tried to give myself over to all that, that I had lost the moorings of my personal integrity. And that was just not acceptable anymore. So I left his work uh, after having written his biography and so forth and being kind of a central member of the leadership in many ways. You so say you wrote his biography? Yeah, I wrote, I wrote a biography of his life uh, that we published in 1990. Uh, and, you know, given there's this uh, species of biography called hagiography or hagiography, which essentially means the approved 
write-up of someone's okay. life. And, you know, and I had to do that. But I managed to get a lot of my own insights in there. And, uh, and was it, uh, sorry, was it The Knee of Listening? Was it that book? No, that was his autobiography written okay. uh, 20 years before. Okay. This was, uh, it's called The Divine Emergence of the World Teacher, which is how he presented himself. Well, what was interesting about that, to keep the story short, uh, try to, was that that was just what the doctor ordered, I guess, because my awakening process that had eluded me all those years, it was as if I shoehorned myself out of a container that I couldn't show up in. And within four months, this kind of rocket shot of a process, and there was a lot of things that happened. It wasn't just instantaneous, but I could tell that something was cooking. And after about four months, uh, this quality of landing here, still very much the person that I am. So it's not like my ego died, but also with no further effort required to be at one with, I like to say the ocean of all that is, and, and I'm also the wave and I've got the crest of my ego, you might say, but all that's of a piece and there's no fundamental problem with it. And I quickly noticed a uh, friend started saying to me, you know, I don't know what you're, you keep babbling about realizing consciousness and embodying here. And I don't understand all that, but something's happening for me because I'm hanging out with you and we got to talk. And that led then to, well, if I can go through this after having gone through everything I did, and his was not the kind of work that you leave with a pat on the back and blessings on your journey. I mean, the, the prognosis from that world for my uh, further growth was not good, to put it mildly. <laughs> um, so my feeling was, you know, let's democratize this stuff. I mean, the fact of my having gone through this transition, and, and clearly it was permanent, and it was contagious, that was so unpredictable by everything I had learned and believed all those years. And, you know, I had become a student of what he called the great tradition. I, you know, I, I wasn't naive and illiterate about other forms of spirituality and awakening, but this was just outside anything I could have expected. So my, my whole orientation was let's democratize this. Let's get rid of all the trappings you know, I mean, that's a word that you can interpret quite literally in the sense that some of the things that attend these old cultural forms wind up not working to the advantage of people today and maybe didn't for years. And so we then, you know, I mean, here we are 28 and a half or more years later, um, we had a lot of success on a small and intimate scale you know, this never became something that tens, hundreds of thousands of people uh, uh, were involved in, but we've, you know, uh, certainly served the upliftment uh, and the, the relief of people from a lot of what they were holding about how they had to be and all the shoulds of what's wrong with me and how I got to fix it. So many, many people have benefited from that. And as Linda was saying, hundreds have gone through similar awakenings, which then 
also forced the further democratization of the work itself. And, you know, so there have been many changes over the years. But at this point, uh, you know, even though I'm now in my early 70s, uh, knock on wood, I hope my father's prediction for me an invocation was good. He said, I figured out, you know, your prime of life is more like 60 or 65 to 80 or 85. So do whatever you need to do to stay alive and, and do your work, which was, which was great coming from him. But we do feel like we're <clears throat> in some ways released into the stage of our work where really the, you know, the essence of our Mission actually is stated in the, the title of this forthcoming book, The Sun in Your Heart, that big glow is rising. You know, the, the radiant feeling intelligence of your whole being, not only spiritual, but also material, psychological, you name it. You, we all, that great heart we all share is coming alive and awake in as and through everybody and all of us together. And we're actually all being pressed now to grow and change in the best ways possible. So that's where we're at. And, um, you know, it's waiting down in mutuality is part of that remains very central to our work, but that emphasis on the, the great heart uh, has, has really come forward front and center. Our version of a, bi a, a big glow. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> so, so yeah, I first became aware of you. This is probably, I don't know if you remember this, I know, but remember this publication, What is Enlightenment? This is probably like late 90s. Yeah, sure. And uh, I first became aware of you guys through that. Um, I was uh, had a subscription. This is back when, for those of young folks, when people actually read magazines and they came in the mail and back in those days. So uh, uh, I had a subscription and I became aware of you there. And there was some sort of an audio thing, an interview that you did um, and I, was li I listened to that. And uh, so that's when I first started to plug into what you were doing and became aware of you. But yeah, you, you, know, you, you're, you talk about like this period with um, Adi Da. And so you, this is like, when you first came into this, uh, when you, let's say when you first became a seeker, this is like the 70s, 80s, something. Yeah, <clears throat> 1970 literally was when it started. And, you know, now we're in 2021. So, um, you know, the, the trappings that you talked about and the democratization that you helped to bring into being, like, I'd love to hear more about that journey. Like, what, what are the trappings that you noticed and how was that journey of democratization for you both? How did you bring that um, into being? What did you see there that, that you thought it was valuable? Shall I? Okay. Um, I'll jump in. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, thank you. You know, really, really great questions. And um, in some ways, the, the trappings uh, over time, we we clarified this, and again, kind of the artistry of trying to tease the pieces out here. What's going on? Um, there's a, a, a kind of a pervasive, it's not just a mental assumption, it's actually baked in pretty deeply in human culture, really both Eastern and Western, both we could say spiritual mm -hmm. and 
material, religious, and secular, there is some kind of a foundational split. Uh, we would name the essence of it a spirit slash matter split. Takes many forms, mind, body, God, flesh. Spirit, sex is one. But humans wind up being mysteriously self-divided. And that comes through in so many cultures. And I'm not saying it comes through in all of them. But much of human history has been built on that split. And, you know, so for instance, in some of the language from the East, uh, liberation from the wheel of birth and death, uh, or, you know, in, in uh, Christianity, attaining salvation, going to heaven, uh, and, and struggling with our materiality, including our minds and our sense of self or ego, as if these were the problem to be overcome. And it's not that there isn't work to be done. <laughs> we, we appreciate, uh, you know, I know you, you're well aware of Ken Wilber's work and, uh, you know, the, the necessity to develop yourself among multi, along multiple lines. And just because you have a spiritual awakening doesn't mean that you're now the arbiter of morality, say. Uh, and just because you have done deep shadow work doesn't, you know, make you even necessarily aware of those numinous, mysterious possibilities of spirit. So a lot of our work has been to help people reframe their assumptions about what they have to do to, in effect, merit their own deepening integration, awakening, healing, transformation. And the democratization, a central piece of that is the recognition that uh, not only is everybody's life of equal value, but really, I mean, a good example of, of this for me was, um, I mentioned the two, my two primary heart oriented uh, gurus, Ramana Maharshi and Adi Da. Each of them used a practice of a kind of inquiry or self-questioning that aided their own awakening, which they then turned around and taught to everybody as this is what you do. And the old tradition is, well, whatever the guru did that worked for him or her, that then empowers it for everyone. Last thing you wanna do is try to come up with your own and have to reinvent the wheel. But for me, though I tried my best to do what the gurus had shown, the inquiry that served me the most was something that came forward spontaneously in my own heart and mind. And so democratization goes in a lot of that kind of direction. And we, you know, in terms of the awakening process, we uh, in, a, in effect are the, well, uh, more and more we've, we've been taking the role of coaches rather than teachers because like guru teacher, it tends to have so much yeah. projection on it. Uh, and, and there's so many, it's just a lot built in that we'd, we'd rather not go to, particularly since our role has always been more like 
midwifing, evocative mm -hmm. coaching, supportive, you know, what do you want? Who, who, yeah. who are you needing to be now? Guiding and suggesting. Yeah. 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 Like, not yeah. Dictating. Yeah. We, you know, we always say to people, we might make recommendations, probably will, some of them strong, but mm -hmm. you then choose and you're choosing. <laughs> is one of the great secrets of democratization. You're daring to become your own authority. Right. Part of that also is the, the piece of mutuality. Because in, yes, in right. that, in the democratization, mutuality yeah. can get a little sticky and messy sometimes. Even Ken Wilber said that to us years ago when we were having a, a great conversation with him. And we were talking about mutuality and he says, yeah, it's not easy and it can get messy. And Could you define mutuality so we all have a sense of how that word's being defined? Yeah. Uh, yeah, one you. of the ways that we put it and uh, you know, different people talk about it different ways. So mm -hmm. people could hold it otherwise. But one way to, to, to relate to it is being as true as you can be to your own total self, which includes many parts sometimes that <laughs> are longer heads with each other, while collaborating, cooperating, and supporting and being with others who are doing the same as best you can. So there are degrees of conscious mutuality that we can have with people. Some people don't have awareness of the things that matter to others and you know you may find well i can only go so deep into really being with you but a lot of the the living of it is very much appreciating that uh, we use this phrase you know uh, feel into the logic of the other's being mm -hmm. and if you're doing that you become uh, more empathic less inclined to try to fix others as well as yourself, uh, more, more capable of a deep acceptance that uh, actually mysteriously green lights transformation. So in our work, we developed what people came to call mutuality circles, where they get together. And you know, one of the rules of the road is you, you, know, you, don't, you don't try to fix someone, you don't give them a whole lot of advice, you're just there holding them and allowing them to express whatever's coming forward. Yeah, and in, in relationships, in mutuality, in connection, in communication, sometimes it can rattle the individual. And so there might be splits in relationships that can actually be healed if two individuals are coming forward and, and having the, the desire and will and capability of healing those splits and really listening deeply to the other and asking questions and even you know going humbly to them and saying, what was it that I said or did that really rattled you? That, that will help me land more fully as an integral person. So this is all part of that way of showing up with each other. So relationships, community being a, a gateway to, to awakening within mm -hmm. oneself. Yeah, very much Absolutely. so. Very much so. And in fact, early on, <clears throat> well, the, fir the first title of the work was the title, title of my first book, 
the white hot yoga of the heart. Uh, but really the work became better known as waking down and, and still is. Uh, but at some point, maybe in the early 2000s, it dawned on me as part of this evolving of the teachings. Uh, you know, folks, um, we've got to put mutuality on an equal, uh, e equal depth and significance as waking and down. Down being embodiment and also... Uh, opening up to the deep, dark, hidden sides, the shadow material. The mutuality part is not just, uh, in some ways, it's not just a gateway. What we then realize might well be called self plus other realization. You know, in other words, you, you are, yes, you are at one with that great self, but everybody else as to that is unique. And in some ways, we all remain mysterious to each other, even while there is this deep feeling of the sameness of being. And that, by the way, opens up also with other creatures, mm -hmm. with nature altogether, mm -hmm. with archetypal spirits and presences and discarnate forces. I mean, I, I wanted to mention that for me, yeah, and Speaking as of. we speak, a fly just landed on Linda's hand. No, this fly has been on my hands oh. through the entire time we've been speaking. <laughs> and he's been flying around us a little bit. And so I opened up my palms. I'm not kidding. And he stayed in my palms, crawled up my arm. Anyway, creatures. <laughs> and that connection and that love, I just yeah. had to show you. Thank he's you. That's great. <laughs> he doesn't want Who to could leave. have scripted that? <laughs> But I was about to say also, and, and I really want to honor this, though my heart gurus or adepts gave me great transmissions and teachings that helped make me and this work possible. After I left Adida's work, it became clear that what some people refer to as the goddess, uh, in Indian language, the Shakti or the divine feminine became very much a living force in my process. And uh, I, I have always felt that if, if that mystery hadn't somehow gotten activated, I could still be asking my inquiry question about am I consciousness or however I phrased it. So the, the principle of mutuality is not only relationship, it's also at a deeper level relatedness. And part of how that plays out we have a friend now who had her basic awakening around 2000, 2001 or two, became a teacher in our Waking Down and Mutuality work, uh, has since gone deep into Dzogchen, Buddhism, though she remains very much closely associated with us and finds that the awakening that came through here is, you know, nothing is missing in that from what she's also encountered elsewhere. Mm. But the reason I'm bringing her up is because she realized recently that she's, you know, she's now in her 70s. And she's much more inclined toward a relatively secluded life. You know, she's not out there relating. And we don't want people to have to feel this is just about active relating. Mm. It's how you are being present. Mm. 
to one and all. And there's mutuality within self, which is what you are speaking to with, mm -hmm. with her. She's having deep mutuality within herself. And mutuality of masculine and feminine as well, right? That's another component of this. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And to, you know, uh, I think some people have at times misinterpreted our work as being, well, that's mostly about the feminine. And fair enough, it is a strong, there, there is a deep, we could say, feminization mm -hmm. that goes on actually for both women and men in this. Mm -hmm. But it's really that much more of a balance of having a, a repertoire of moves and capacities. So you have skills that are typically more related to or are dressed as masculine as well as feminine and you move in life with those capacities and continue refining. Yeah. 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 So as far as this democratization, I think one of the things that's really interesting for me in the landscape right now that I've seen, you know, recent years and, and currently is um, people are very, generally speaking, cynical of uh, someone who's perceived as a guru or seems like they could be a guru or they might be a guru. And um, also very uh, concerned about the kind of a cultish kind of energy that's happening. And yet I think we all value community and spiritual community is so important and so valuable. And so I think an interesting question is how to discern between, because I think, I know that you guys have been around for a long time and I've seen some things that you've seen and, you know, we've seen these cult things form and people get hurt by it. And, um, but I know some people that they've kind of just thrown the whole idea of spirituality altogether because they've had a bad experience or they seem to also have a bad experience. And that's unfortunate, you know, because there's something really true that's, that's missing if you just throw the, you know, the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So how do we, how do we um, offer or, or um, cultivate spiritual community that is distinct and, you know, not something that evolves into a cult-like situation that people can feel safe and Mm -hmm. um moving into and being a part of yeah yeah great, great question, question. <laughs> i i'll jump in real quick when i hear the word word cult or a guru tradition it to me connotes to one individual who is claiming and standing in his or her position of authority awakeness whatever it might be and having a community, perhaps a cultish community, um, really being devotees of that person. That's what really it brings up for me. So a cult, yeah, that's basically it for me. And so the way that we have lived this through the years is we talk so much about the mutuality aspect, which we described a bit here, and the the um, fundamental equality of every person, every being. And in that fundamental equality, 
that opens up, a, I feel, a safer container for individuals to show up authentically as who they are. And there's obviously different levels and lines of development with each mm -hmm. person in a container of community. But to be able to embrace all of those individuals where they are, trying the, your best to understand the logic of their being, that to me feels like an authentic and integral form of community. That's what we're striving for, even to today. Mm -hmm. He started it many years ago. I remember when I first sat with Samuel, he's sitting on the floor on a backjack, everybody's sitting on pillows and on couches and chairs in his tiny little apartment mm -hmm. in Green Bay, Green Bay, California. And I sit down in the very back of the room and I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is great. You know, this place is packed. And Samuel would speak about exactly that fundamental equality. He said, I'm not, I'm not on high. I'm not sitting on a platform on a chair or, mm -hmm. or a, yeah, whatever. He'd say, I am here meeting you equally face-to-face, eye-to-eye, heart-to-heart, and I want company. I loved when he said that. He says, I want company in this awakening, and I want all of you to land fully and confidently in your embodied conscious awakening so that you can discover the uniqueness of who you are here and to take your gifts out into the world and share with others. And he said, and that's going to show up in many different forms. You could be a teacher, you could be a singer, you could be an artist, you could be a construction worker and bring your gifts to what you're doing with your crew. Yeah. And that so sang to my heart that it kept me coming back and coming back and just feeling him, feeling his authentic heart. And that's what we both have been you know, aspiring to continually, you know, because we're always evolving. And all the teachers that came out of waking down in mutuality, this is what we were trying to and and teaching and coaching individuals to discover in themselves so that they can take it forward. So anyway. Yeah, I forgot forgot the question. <laughs> 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 but uh, I, I do want to say, yeah, the, right, the whole thing of cults. And, you know, I, coming from my background, you know, I, I honor the beauty and the mystery of these traditions. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. they have tended to devolve mm -hmm. uh, in those directions you're, you know, that you, you, you pointed to with your question. And I'm... Uh, I, I, my, my feeling is we don't need to, to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but the focus has had to be on, uh, like as Linda was saying, this equality in being. Now, you know, you were describing how people then chucked the whole thing because they got wounded. And in many cases, that's really what they do need to do to be able to heal. But hopefully they can come to a more inclusive uh, and, and in some ways more nuanced understanding where that equality, if, you know, if we say that that's kind of horizontal, well, there are still hierarchies of skills 
for instance. Yeah. You know, I mean, if I'm gonna, if, if I need uh, help with my medical condition, there are things I'm gonna try to do myself, but I'm also gonna go to a doctor. And in these inner domains, there are people who have greater skills and others who have lesser ones. And so what happens, you know, in the optimal working out of this, and I think it's where we're, we're kind of lurching toward and struggling toward, is that more and more that greater heart nature, whatever we name it, that's our name for it. Mm -hmm. uh, but but that, that great mystery that we all share that's essential to who and what we are will become more and more prominent and we'll be able to value people for their special contributions without it going into cult and idolatry and also that being often built on a sense that someone is the existential superior to the others. Yes. And so you know, we welcome everyone uh, to really come into and live and speak their truth, which uh, as Linda likes to say, quoting, quoting her <laughs> here, uh, living and speaking your truth is not a popularity contest. Being in that kind of democratic freedom and, and being called to live with integrity uh, is gonna be challenging at times. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, but that, that does feel like the, the next evolution and that's part of why we're more increasingly more comfortable in the holding ourselves as coaches uh, rather than, I mean, we just never were traditional gurus anyway in the sense of commanding mm -hmm. and thinking we, we knew better than people altogether. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. It feels like there is this evolution that's happening um, that is um, you talk democratizations the term you use or like this kind of sense of feeling almost like a I think it was like a humanization. Yes, you know, and I like yeah. I, I began saying that recently. Wait, huh. someone said it to us. I said, "You're right. It's we're humanizing awakening, not just." democratizing it <laughs> yeah yeah because there used to be this thing where like the guru was not they weren't even considered human they were some other thing yeah. out there and a perch somewhere right. and you know i think there was a lot of i mean honestly i think a lot of it was sort of theater and there was just there was a lot of things that weren't really genuine and authentic mm -hmm. um and i think it's becoming more genuine and authentic and i liked how you talked about the different um Kind of like integral where there's these different lines of of um how would we say like where, where he, go ahead linda oh no i think he was pointing to the hierarchies of the development so go ahead different lines of development that's it yeah so you can be really strong in one area of development and not so strong in another development yes. and you know so i think that that understanding provides humility which is really important Oh, that's right. right. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And that's, you know, we've, we've been, uh, you know, a part of the process is you, you, you get to the grace of humility by seeing your errors and, you know, and having to confront your shortcomings. 
And, and coconut yoga. <laughs> Something I'll explain wanted. that in a minute. <laughs> uh, um, but you know the 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 process of gleaning just how little we all really do know, even in the midst of you know the the great discoveries that we can and should be proud of. Uh, I think it 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 helps undermine those tendencies to give our power away completely to others. And I agree that, uh, well, I feel like this humanization and democratization is not only possible, it's actually really necessary. Yeah. You know, I'm reading people who are talking about the dangers of AI, artificial intelligence. Yeah. And, you know, Elon Musk is making a big thing about this and thankfully a whole lot of others. Uh, and our technology is, you know, kind of getting away from us at breakneck speed. And we were, we were talking with a friend who's, who's actually an expert in, you know, in that field, AI. And, you know, she was saying, you know, we don't have time for people to spend 20 or 30 years <clears throat> getting at their essential truth anymore and we need for this to be as widespread as possible and spreadable and you know overcoming that lofty you know utterly superior being sense of what enlightenment is about and getting its feet down here on the ground is crucially important yes. and that's been one of the things about our work that we're keeps keeps getting us up in the morning because I remember back like 10 years in, it's not that thousands of people had awakened, but dozens had. And what was most interesting to me was that I could only count on my two hands how many people had been serious about it who needed more than something like several months to several years to go through that fundamental shift where they, they weren't seeking awakening anymore, if that had been a quest for them. Now that didn't say anything about all the other lines of development. And I remember back in the early years, that was a curiosity for me. Okay, is this going to automatically produce those kinds of changes? But I already knew by looking at what we had experienced, because this is something I wanted to add. In so many of those kind of guru-centric, we could say, uh, traditions or or leader centric, mm. you know, which goes then into the world <laughs> right. of business and government and you name it, science. Um, that framework winds up with the underlings, the followers, the subordinates carrying the shadow of the big leader. Which, which then is a double whammy on them because not only do they have to work with their own stuff, but like kids in an abusive family with abusive parents, they got to try to cope with what's coming from mom and dad. And it, it's actually sidelined and, and, and I think Achilles healed uh, so much of humanity's spiritual impulse. So I'm very excited about 
these shifts and these new understandings that are opening up. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they're urgent in all of us. It's, I remember I put in one of my books, All Hands on Deck. Mm-hmm. So uh, coconut yoga was my, <laughs> my, my theme for, or my name for uh, when someone has a problem with you, you know, and says, you know, you hurt me or you misunderstood me or, you know, I really have a hard time with what you said or what you did. Uh, Coconut yoga is the orientation of, in effect, letting your head and your idea of, well, wait a minute, that's not right or whatever, letting that hit the ground like a coconut dropping on the rocks and splitting open so that, in effect, you're bowing and when you sit up, you're in the mood of, okay, even if I don't understand what happened the way you do, please tell me more, because mm-hmm. I want to meet you right here in, in where I've caused you pain or distress. Yeah. And we, we, we made that a principle as we were training teachers and the teachers were, we were all training others. Mm-hmm. Uh, we made that a principle of the work that <clears throat> the capacity for apology yes. has to be well developed. Not like you're going around every other word saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, but taking responsibility for what's yours yeah. to equalize those pressures that do arise in mutuality exactly. when there's discord or disharmony. Yeah, and this is an authentic apology and an authentic desire yeah. Yeah. to hear from the other without the, I'm sorry, but, blah, 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 yeah. blah. Yeah. Not, a, not a comma, but apology. Yeah. I'm sorry, comma, but <laughs> what you did. <laughs> <it's not> <laughs> <dead>. <laughs> so. Let's, let's tie that into um, current uh, question about our current situation. So. Can I, can I ask for, um, I, I need to take a quick bio break. Hope this doesn't, hope you Yeah, can. yeah. Go I'm going to scoot out. I'll Go ahead. Right. You, you scoot out. Oh, I can talk continue. to Linda. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fine with me. Yeah. Sure. Hey, Brian. <laughs> um, I wanted to um, ask about the time that we're in currently. And it seems like there's just, um, just a really tremendous level of polarization and divisiveness um, right now. Um, you know, almost like there's like two different camps that are getting entrenched in mm-hmm. further and further. And like, I guess, you know, um, what can we do about it? <laughs> like, how, does, how does mutuality, uh, how can mutuality lend, lend light to that or create some, some clarity around that? Or, yeah. you know, kind well, of what do you, what do you see happening right now? And what is the way through it? What is the way forward through it? Right. Thank you for that. And I mean, there's so many different aspects to the polarization. You know, there's Black Lives Matter. There's Mm -hmm. there's the LGBTQ, sorry, LGBTQ community. There's um, political splits and polarization. There's polarization around climate change. I mean, I could go on and on and on. There's still human humanity atrocities happening across the globe. Um, and so how do we deal with all of these things? 
you well, know that how do we yeah. and also it seems like there's kind of like everything sort of polarized where there's like you can have this idea or this idea and the other people are the enemy and we're the ones that you right. know know it all and get it all right. um right. and people kind of have their own media it's like there's kind of two different media sources now so i've just been looking at this from the sense of you know for me and i think you you know i feel like you guys as well coming from a space of conscious of oneness and unity and yet there's all this divisiveness and all this division and all this separation yes um so yeah how to make sense of it how to how to support what we can support right right it feels like that's that's a question that i've been having right now yeah i think it's a really important question and, and you're not alone there i think a lot of people are struggling with what can i do actually to inform or actually educate myself about the polarized person over here having a completely different opinion or place in the world. And education is a big word. And I think that's really important for each individual to find a rhythm with really listening to the other as best you can, even when, and believe me, I go there even when it is so diametrically opposed and opposite of how you feel and what you're experiencing in your own integrity and what your belief systems are or whatever. So being able to own that and feel the feelings and express the feelings, find, find your, your tribe, I like to say, of individuals that you can download with and at the same time, open up as best you can, open your heart to the other, because yes, we are all connected. We are all part of the same absolute existence here. And if that's true, and this little fly is just having a good old time <laughs> right now, <laughs> he's also part of us, he, she, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Um, if that's true, then as best we can be able to <laughs> be able to listen and learn from what the person is saying. What 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 drives them to have that logic? And how can I understand that logic? And here's the caveat, Brian. We, we can do the best that we can do to try to do that and, and have ways and means of doing that and literally going to the sources or source and asking questions. And you may not be able to land in a, oh, I really understand it and I embrace you. Some can, some can literally say, okay, I hear you. That's not my perspective or my heart but I hear you and I can hold you there too. That's a difficult one. But if more people <clears throat> were willing and, and capable and available of doing that kind of deep listening and asking questions and being able to take a breath, you don't have to change your perspectives or what sings to your heart, but take a breath and say, this is a, another human being that I am connected to in spirit. And I can hold that. It's difficult for me. 
I can hold it. Yeah. And uh, by the way, reactions to the difficulties, that's okay too. You mm -hmm. should see me sometimes screaming at the TV. When I <laughs> <laughs> There's a confession and he knows it. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> we're talking, uh, Cindy, we're talking about just the divisiveness that's in the climate right now, the polarization that's yeah. in the climate right now and yeah. ways that it can be addressed and maybe ways the work that you do could, could address it. Anything you want to add to that inquiry? Well, yeah, thank you. You know, my general feeling actually is that uh, <clears throat> maybe I could say, uh, I think the Dalai Lama's onto something. I think we need the demonstration of kindness to go around the rooms a lot more than they've been able to recently. Uh, people helping people uh, tends to overcome some of these sharp divisions. And, uh, you know, I think. Uh, to me, the kind of work that you're doing, that we're doing to help people come into themselves more fully and learn how to be with each other, as you know, Linda was, yeah. was just talking about, uh, you know, over the long term, uh, well, <laughs> we've got long, hard work ahead. I think this is uh, really something that's going to take generations, if we're lucky. Uh, to get you know the to get humanity fundamentally on the other side of some of this it's never happened yet but i do feel what's happening now can help make that possible and you know the fact that technology is working the way it is we can talk to one another and see and be with one another to this degree and of course all that's going to uh, continue changing and even exponentially changing. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like people of goodwill and good intention, finding the contributions that they are best here to make and doing that together and helping one another recognize and outgrow these, these old modes that served humanity in their time, but aren't anymore. Uh, I think is one of the, the great hopes for humanity. And this kind of whole being self-realization and learning how to be with others uh, is, is gonna be a crucial line of development that, that is a foundation for all the others. Mm -hmm. I, I wrote an essay on LinkedIn about uh, you know, we, we've heard about emotional intelligence and other kinds of intelligence, and I refer to it as existential intelligence. That, that, that deeper knowing of the nature of our very existence, knowing, feeling, knowing, being that, being able to share that with others, uh, I think is going to be a prominent factor in, in what can help us through these challenges. Mm -hmm. I would love to hear from you, Brian, as to this question and what mm -hmm. you, what feels mm -hmm. your um, desire or need to see. Something. Yeah, it feels like it's really important right now. It's, yeah. It feels like it's a, it's a major people, you know, 
myself included, but you know, the world like needs support and help yeah. in this area. But it is true. I, I think following what you said, Samuel, like I don't think people would think of self-realization as connecting to that. But actually what I see is people are really getting attached to ideologies. And it's mm. like the ideology becomes them. Like they are the ideology and that's yeah. who they are. And if someone has an opposing ideology, it's this immediate hatred essentially, because they're not them. They're, they're this ideology, you're the other ideology and it creates this whole thing dynamic. But if yeah. you realize who you really are, then you're not actually any ideology. You know, ideas just come and go. They just appear, you know, meditation shows you this. They just come and go, they appear and disappear. So not to say that, you know, I might have the same view today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day, but I might not, you know, yeah. that's that, that could change, that could evolve. And that's why I need to listen. That's where the deep listening comes in, right? Because maybe you do have an idea that I haven't thought of before, haven't considered before, and I could at least expand my awareness. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean I'm going to drop everything that I am necessarily, but you've added something that I, you added a perspective, an angle that I didn't realize or I wasn't aware of. Yes. And, you know, I think that that's the reality. If someone's from Arkansas or Japan or India or wherever they're from, they're going to have a different perspective than than we do. So we listen and, and, and I think that's, that's really valuable, you know, just to be able to listen, whether you, whether something happens that shifts you or not, or opens you or not. Um, but to have that sense of that person you're looking at is another reflection of divine, you know, right. like, like you are, right. If we come from that place, that changes everything. Oh, that's so perfect. I was going to say something similar to that, but you just spoke up perfectly, Brian. Thank you. Uh, you know, and, and divi divine slash love uh -huh. and gratitude. Yeah. And yeah. That's so good. Thank you. For and that. It's, I think it's hard because our, you know, our primary media outlets, they're not talking about love or they're not talking about seeing the divine in someone else's eyes. They're, you know, I think they kind of make money by creating these divisions and these, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a business model. Um, yeah. So we have to kind of go in a deeper place and, and come from a deeper place and um, see, see each other beneath these, yeah, beneath the, beneath the level of the mind, right? I think that's what it, yeah. Yeah, yeah thank you, that was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, so I think, it, again, I think it's important because there can be, maybe you could speak to this because you're, you're, you guys are talking about waking down and each other, there's this kind of sense of like, well, this is just stuff that doesn't relate to the world and it's not helping anybody. It's not making a difference, you know, do something practical. Um, so, you know, just kind of talk about the bridge between self-realization and making a positive difference in the world. Thank you. Uh, yeah. I think that, that um, <clears throat> divide mm -hmm. is, is shrinking. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, and actually the pandemic in its way has also served that to some degree, that, that shift. Um, I'm kind of intensely, because I've been an entrepreneur doing this, this work all these years, I have a particular thing for entrepreneurship and, and, and just a very strong sense that, um, well, uh, Mark Benioff, the founder of Salesforce.com, you know, who's a 
billionaire with a multi-zillion dollar business. Uh, but he, his thing is businesses, uh, the, the platform for the greatest change, that, that, that those ways of engaging and, and transforming that world. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because during the pandemic, uh, the kind of world-renowned consultancy company, McKinsey, which uh, this is like the consultants to the Fortune 100 and 500, you know, and they're they're just super worldly business oriented. And they had this great article where they were interviewing top CEOs, and literally this language came from one or more of those CEOs. These people are figuring out they've got to elevate to be to the same level as mm -hmm. to do. Mm -hmm. And they're figuring out, I can't just be, I'm not gonna get this, I'm not, we're not gonna get through this with me just being the commanding captain, you know, driving the ship, giving everybody the vision, expecting everybody to perform, showing the metrics, blah, blah, blah. I've gotta be a coach, even ministerial, their language. I've got to show my vulnerability. I've got to be transparent. You know, and they learn stuff like, you know, you're talking about the fly there a while ago. <laughs> you know, they, they do a selfie of being out taking their dog on a walk and productivity in their company would shoot up because their people would see them being human. And I think everything is getting humanized where there are these, you know, dramatic, differences and disjuncts. And so our kinds of skill sets are becoming more and more important, mm -hmm. which by the way, uh, what was that book? Daniel Pink's book, I'm forgetting the, uh, the main title of the book, the subtitle is Why Right Brainers Will Rule the World. Uh, in, in other words, that, that shifts are going on that are gonna require us to make these human skills much more prominent, much more widely shared and valued. And those of us who've done decades of work in these fields will have more and more relevance to those for whom those lines are not yet developed. Not like we need them to lose what they've gained and what they contribute. But I think in, in business and in science and government in all these areas, mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like uh, this is the, the, the time for the integration and the, the, the ending of that, oh, that's just woo-woo. Mm -hmm, yeah. some, some people are always going to be that way, but a lot of the most sensitive and intelligent ones know very well that, wow, something big is missing here, wow. and I've got to change. Yeah, and in that change that shifting, which is always ongoing, the evolution of oneself, yeah. you take that into the world. And like you said, Brian, you know, it changes, you know, perspectives change and you shift and you go with that and you glow with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys have, well, you've been together for over 25 years, right? around there long time 
Right. Well, yeah, uh, over 25 years, yes. uh, 1995. So. Yeah. so, yeah, I thought it'd be great to ask you about your relationship, spiritual partnership, spiritual marriage. Um, this is something that I know a lot of people long for and they, they want and have trouble or challenges creating that. So the question is, what's the secret? <laughs> Let us enlighten us all. Oh. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, what is the secret? I guess and I'm kind of joking about the secret part. It doesn't have to be a secret. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, in terms, I was, you had brought up earlier that uh, we would be uh, talking about this. Yeah. In terms of um, what you wanted to ask us. And, mm -hmm. and I was thinking about it, and, you know, there's so much wisdom available about how to cultivate and create and you know, thrive in, change in, grow in, you know, a deeply committed relationship. And I think one thing that we can add is each partner will make a significant priority of both realizing their essential nature and cultivating both their light and the integration of their shadow uh, and doing that together and making room for each other to be different mm -hmm. and continuing to grow each in his, her, their, you know, whatever the right pronoun is, I deeply respect that. For everybody to keep growing and not expect each other to be you know, like mirror images of one another, but really take delight in, in the differences. Mm -hmm. And have, have then that foundation of existential intelligence, of, of knowing who we are, and I say that word knowing, that, that deeper whole being knowing, uh, and having that then be the, the foundation of what's there between us. Uh, because, you know, I mean, well, you know, I'm forgetting right now that I saw on your website the uh, name of your partner. Is it Annie Marie? Annie. I thought yeah. it was Annie. And that was my, my mother's uh, name was Anne, and uh, my niece is, is Annie. So got a resonance there. Um, but, you know, uh, how long have you guys been together? Four years. Okay. Fairly new relationship. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the, 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 the weaving uh, of that deeper union goes on over time. And the deeper it goes, the more that foundation is realized to be unshakable. It's like there's this current of love and trust, mutual respect, sympathy, appreciation that, that is not different from our oneness with everyone and everything to the degree that we've realized that. And it just becomes such a strong foundation mm -hmm. that then <laughs> we get to go through whatever changes we do. And of course, life is full of changes as we age. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're definitely right at this time of our lives, you know, confronting, wow, mm -hmm. sure enough, <laughs> I used to, 
I've always wanted to, to live to a ripe old age, but it never occurred to me that that would entail actually getting old. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. you know, just that, that cultivation of that depth and knowing it's going to take time and practicing all these ways of leaning in with each other, getting the logic of the other's being. Listening and holding. Listening, and yeah. Coconut yoga. <laughs> yes, all, all, all the things that it takes. Yeah, you know, as couples, being able to go into those moments where sometimes something's happened and both of you have got skin in the game of reactivity, and other times it's pretty much one person's thing. And, you know, I, I get to say, babe, I'm sorry. I, this was all me, my bad, and you know, let's let's get back on track here. Yeah, and then that heals it just right there. You know, yeah. if it's a sincere, I'm sorry. Yeah. And same for me. Sometimes I have to go to Samuel and say, I know I was really edgy, mm -hmm. and my tone was way off, and I'm so sorry about that. Yeah. Then we we come together, and then another way that we come together is humor. And laughter, I can't stress how important that is in a relationship. We laugh several times every day. We'll, we'll, we've got our silly little phrases that we do. Um, I mean, even prior to recording, Brian, I was sharing with you that I talked to Samuel this morning about, well, maybe we should talk about um, you know, the pillows and, and the pounding <laughs> and the jumping on top of you and, and right. wrestling. And <laughs> I mean, we laugh hysterically so much of the time that that diffuses a lot of stress that we have in some of the work that we do, perhaps, and some of the life stuff that gets thrown at us. Each and every person gets life stuff thrown at us on a daily basis, really. <laughs> And being able to express our love and doing it authentically and real and from the heart. I, I love it when Samuel comes in and I'm sitting at the table on my computer or doing something and he'll come in and he'll just simply take his hand and rub my back like mm -hmm. this as he walks through into the kitchen. And I do that with him. And that, yeah. it, that's like one little subtle and yet totally significant action physically that communicates, I'm here with you and I love you. So. Beautiful. So, let's start to answer that question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I, I, one thing that struck out to me, I think is um, apologizing and um, forgiveness. Cause something I see that happens a lot with people that together over a long period of time is these kind of resentments build up, you know, and they build up more and they build up more and people aren't able, aren't able to forgive for whatever reason. Maybe we can explore that, you know, what that is, but it's kind of like, as time goes on, these, these resentments build up over time and then people just, you know, go different ways. So how do you continue to kind of keep the slate clean or kind of empty out things so they don't build up and these, you know, they don't accumulate. One of the ways is using the word daring to approach your partner when you feel the energy from him or her. And we're, we're sensitive beings. We know when our partner is rattled or triggered or maybe perhaps even pulling away just a little bit. 
being able to dare to step into, honey, did I do something or did I say something that, mm -hmm. that upset you? And if so, please tell me so that we can get on the same page together. That is really important, I feel. And so that addresses each individual as best he, he or she can to develop that, that sensitivity mm -hmm. to an energetic that might be in the room that neither one of you can even explain or, or know the, the reason for mm -hmm. or, or how it manifested. But if you talk about it, instead of shoving it away, it, it becomes the elephant in the room and it doesn't get addressed. So that would be one, one thing I would suggest. Yeah, I mean, if you talk about it, it doesn't become the elephant in the yeah. room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. But if you shove it, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, you know, I think there's um, figuring figuring out your rhythms. I mean, a lot of yeah. humanizing, enlightenment, awakening, you know, or or these profound conditions of existence has to do with giving these animal human body beings room to be the way they are. There's a lot of stuff about us that we, we don't need to try to fix. And a lot of stuff about our partners that we don't. We do well not to try to fix. Uh, and so for instance, also making room, you know, when someone's having a hard time, sometimes they just need some time. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that we feel is a, a kind of a dangerous edge in a lot of relationship work is people assuming that they've got to be brutally honest. There are a lot of things that do not need to be said. And the more there is that deeper trust and union and, and love and care and compassion, uh, the more, you know, we weigh. And I know both of us do this. Well, do I need to bring this up to Linda right now? I don't think so. Now, however, we also, and this could be a practice that people might take on, do your own way. We have a, uh, a kind of way to ending our days together where we have a little ceremony. I tend to stay up a little later after having slept through TV for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Another admission. Uh, and, and so we'll do a little ceremony where I'll kind of do a little energetic sweep of Linda and there are things that we say to one another about you know basically letting go of, of the fret zones, the what we call brain trains clattering around the tracks. Um, and, uh, and then to end it, we say yeah. blessings to all beings and all, all creation. creation. And so, so the reason I'm bringing that up is because though I hadn't really thought of it this way in a while, that little practice and i mean it takes all of like two minutes unless we want to take um and we don't really think of it as practice just something we love to do but if we've got stuff that's up that's irritating us between us we can't do that you know uh, sincerely so we would have to work things through you know and by far the greatest amount of the time by the time we get to sleep time, if anything has been up, we already did work it through. Yeah. But something like that or other little 
mutual disciplines, uh, special private practices that you know mm -hmm. intimates can uh, develop together, discover they're doing together, mm -hmm. can be really, really helpful. Um, and again, to 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 give one another space and time to grow in our own ways at our own pace uh, is pretty important. Yeah, beautiful. I think like what I see in you guys that's inspiring is there's like two qualities. One is a couple that's dedicated to uh, spiritual growth and spiritual awakening together and supporting each other in that. Um, and the other is having, having a shared purpose together. Like th those two qualities I think are really powerful when they're, and not every relationship is designed for that, but uh, you know, um, when you can have those two qualities together, I think it's a really uh, beautiful, powerful thing to be, to be uh, showing up in the world as. So yeah, say, say the yeah. two again. So the first one is being dedicated to uh, spiritual awakening or spiritual growth right. together, right? And then the second one is shared purpose together. So in, your, in the case of you guys, you know, teaching together and offering what, all you're offering together. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that so. shared purpose shows up in different ways too for, mm -hmm. for couples. Yeah. So yeah, really. yeah, thank you, Brian. That's thank good. Thank you very much for that. And, yeah. you know, I, I would say <clears throat> when we use the word spiritual, we're meaning it in a holistic sense. So it's developing all those different lines of our character along with, you could say, our consciousness. Yep. You know, you can't develop them all at once, but, you know, finding the places where we need to grow and keeping on going. And I, I love the way you distilled that. The thing I wanted to add is, if you do have that basic shared intention, then there's a level, even if the two partners are doing widely different things in the world, so they're not like us. You know, right, two different jobs or something. Very yeah. different jobs or professions, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, if you scratch the surface, you probably find that you're sharing a purpose of service in one form or another. Yeah. And so you, you both have that as you that you share, uh, even if your your daily work is quite different. Right. Let's talk about the new book you have coming out. Before we go there, Brian, we have this thing where our screen, it's like we lost the visual of you in the room. So oh, really? You're still yeah. seeing us fine, right? Yeah, yeah. And the main thing I think is being able to hear each other. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we'll, we'll just leave it this way. Yeah. Okay. I wish we could see you, but yeah, for some too. reason I cut that out. Yeah. And it's better, better than interrupting to try to get the room back visible for yeah. us. Yeah. So, well, I wanted to ask you about the book that you have coming out and, and what are the key, you know, things that you feel are valuable for people to know about it. Thank you. Mm, well, thank you. very important question. Yeah, I, I, I've written a bunch of books over the years, uh, published in various forms, some literally reproduced at the local copy shop, um, and haven't brought one out in over a decade. And I've been trying, I've made attempts at writing 
what this book is going to be uh, for about a decade. Uh, originally, it was going to be called, I think, The Human Son or Become a Human Son. And then this phrase, this kind of essential message, the sun in your heart, S-U-N, in your heart is rising. And, and heart here, we use that word heart, not just meaning the physical heart or the spiritual heart, but the whole being heart. The heart that, as I heard from someone, the center that just happens to be everywhere. And the subtitle of the book uh, is A Call to Help the Light in Everybody Shine. And uh, really what enabled it to, I, I've learned to respect the timing of these things, you know, made a, several efforts and just wasn't happening. Uh, but then I came across uh, an interview that <clears throat> interestingly Oprah, Oprah Winfrey did with Melinda Gates. You know, Bill and Melinda Gates. And of course, they have their foundation and they're currently going through their marital changes, blessings to them. Uh, but uh, Melinda had written a book about her service to empowering women and girls and what she had learned on the journey. And uh, in their interview, um, Oprah asked her, she said, I know that you, Melinda, every year you don't do resolutions, you just choose a word. And this is 2019. What's your word for this year? And Melinda Gates gave this, as she said, very vulnerable answer. The word was to shine. And then she said this beautiful thing about how, you know, there's a light in everybody, every person. And, you know, we can help one another turn those lights on. And if we'll help everyone, including especially the dispossessed, the marginalized, the oppressed, the disenfranchised, uh, everybody will shine. The whole world will shine. And, yeah, it struck me. I mean, here's this woman who's kind of a paragon of worldly prominence and renown. And she's making this visionary, heartfelt statement. And something about that, among other things, gave us the subtitle, A Call to Help the Light and Everybody Shine, because it is, you know, in your language, that big glow. In ours, it is that sun in the heart. And so the book, as we're currently conceiving it, we're just getting started, and you know, we welcome people's interest and so forth. Um, the book is... Basically, as we're currently planning it, it's going to present our essential teachings and the aspects of the teachings that in some ways really are innovative, that on our side we felt have, we feel have not yet been well understood. And we feel like the, the burden is on us to make it more understandable. But not only words on a page, which is pretty abstract and symbolic, so we're going to incorporate Linda's photography, which helps people in some very specific ways. It helps people encounter the mysteriousness of ordinary objects and things and creatures. Uh, and we'll have cartoons in there. Uh, this is the big vision for the book. Uh, and, drawings. and drawings and a lot of stories our own stories, but also stories of people, even people who lived long ago, 
uh, I mean, in the prologue, I've got this story of uh, my grandmother uh, and, and how she dared to take her stand in a new way when they were crossing the Atlantic in 1919 or 1920. So it's, it's all about not just like this whole being awakening thing, certainly that's a very prominent part of it, but it's gonna cover all these pieces we've talked about and it's gonna honor that in every moment of everybody's life, that sun in our heart of our nature is rising, even if we're going through terribly hard times, even if we're on the bottom of the bottom. Uh, this is what's happening and it's, it's an ongoing process. So we're, we're looking and it's a big challenge for a book and who knows how well we'll pull it off. But we're looking to make this book irresistibly beautiful you got to pick it up and look through it. We're looking to make it help it, have it help you laugh. Uh, hopefully the cartoons, whatever jokes we can thread in there. And we'll also cover these deep matters of the, the humanization and democratization of our greatest potential in who we are and in what we do. So I think that's probably it. Good. Work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like the fact too that we will be um, having, as Samuel mentioned, of other practitioners, other people who are doing profound work in the world, inter, um, yeah. interspersed through the book. So yeah. it'll be going to be juicy, I hope. Yeah, <laughs> and it really, you know, I think I think for us, I mean, I, I've. Uh, I've signed up with various uh, trainers for publicity and uh, one, of, one of them made the comment to, you know, to publish a book without promoting it, it's a little grisly of an image, is like giving birth to a, a baby and then throwing it in a dumpster. That might be a little too strong, but I, I feel like in, in this book's case, we're gonna pull out all the stops and I don't know how we're gonna do it and it's gonna take some funding and all that, but one way or another, it feels like this is one of our most important contributions and will continue to be after we're gone. So thank you for asking. Yeah, thank you, Brian. You're welcome. Didn't you say your father said that this is the most important window in your life right now, right? As you said in the beginning. Yeah, yeah yes. that, that was, thank you. Thank I like you. that, I like that. I wrote down three words about the book. Beautiful, funny, and wise. Oh, <laughs> nice. Thank you. Well, hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to use that as- I was a, gonna say, you can send me it when it's ready and I'll, that, that could be part of my, uh, my little tidbit I sent you about the book. Oh, okay. thank you, Brian. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. And that, and that further cements our intention to make sure. Yeah. Well, this is something actually uh, to go back and honor him a little bit. I, I wish he could have done more of this, but my my heart uh, revealer, Adida, uh, said at one point, uh, if you want to uh, if you want to give people the truth, if you want to tell people the truth, you need to make them laugh. Yeah. And I think, and and also you need to make them feel loved. Yeah. And Linda's beautiful, beautiful little axiom, you know, everybody. Well, you say it. <laughs> Everybody, everybody needs to be loved, seen, embraced, heard, listened to, forgiven, honored, honored appreciated. appreciated. Da, 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 da. I mean, it can go on and on and mm -hmm. on. 
add the words and everybody, everybody cellularly, we need that. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it's not, oh, your ego's getting in the way because you have that need. Not at all. Needs yeah. are important in the bodies themselves. Yeah. For self, his self, yourself, all selves. And, and another thing I want to say about it also, Brian, is this goes really kind of touches on our whole conversation and, and our whole work and what we sense is, you know, a great uh, f- kind of familial sympathy and closeness right. to you and your right. right. Um, there was this uh, great French uh, scientist, philosopher, inventor uh, uh, named Blaise Pascal, I think 17th century. And he said something that got translated one way um, and what he actually said was somewhat different, but both parts or versions uh, are, are to me very meaningful. He, he, the, the translation that he didn't really, the French, it's not really there in the French evidently, was that there is a God-shaped hole in the heart of every person and only, only God can fill that hole, uh, a summary of it. His actual words are more like infinite abyss in the heart of every person. And I think both of those ways of languaging it are maybe a little stronger than they need to be. But there's something fundamental about knowing and owning our divinity along with our humanity not having that be different. In that sense, owning our, uh, you might say, clay-footed godness. Uh, that I'm feeling the godness itself is forcing this kind of evolutionary shift on humanity. That it's not, you know, nobody's making it happen. We're all getting to figure out that this is what's happening. <laughs> and make our contributions however best we can. But I think the book, you know, if the book works well, people will want to spend time with it, with us, with the other people quoted there. And of course, we'll have a, an ebook version with audio and video that people can go to. Um, and I think it's gonna help fill that hole. Or, you know, Linda talked about it as a void. She felt it more in the solar plexus, but at the center of our being, so many of us are hungry for something. We're looking here, we're looking there. And I think it's time for a lot more of us humans to find it in our, the very heart of our being. Yeah, and I wanna personally thank you, Brian, for the work that you do out there in the world, mm-hmm. helping individuals and doing your beautiful expressions. Thank you yeah. for your service. It's, very much needed beautiful thank you both so much um i could talk with you all for hours but we're at our time limit here so um i'll just uh say do you want to tell people where they can find more about what you're doing or anything you want anywhere you want to direct people to before we go thank you very much Mm -hmm. um i think the best thing for folks we have a bunch of free offerings that we do uh, I do a daily meditation on Facebook, a live video, and we have things we do on the weekends, meditations and gatherings that are completely available for free. 
Um, and uh, if you go to our, our main site, which is a bit antiquated, we'll be changing it soon. It's called Saniel, S-A-N-I-E-L, like Daniel with an S, SanielAndAndLinda.com, and go to the calendar. And you can find out things we're offering there. Uh, and uh, uh, if you want to join our mailing list, write to us at info at humansoninstitute.com. The word sun in the middle there, that's all one word, Human Sun Institute, it's S-U-N. Uh, info at humansoninstitute.com. Uh, and uh, we would love to, to keep you posted on what we're up to. And you can also go to my LinkedIn page, Samuel Bonder. Uh, and there's some important information there as well. And we love doing personal one-on-one uh, -on -one session work with individuals, as well as couples work. Samuel and I have done a lot of couples work yes. through the years. And so that's also available. Wonderful, Samuel, Linda, thank you so much for, for being here. Oh, thank you, You're Brian. You're so welcome, Brian. We look forward to seeing you again. Yes, look forward to seeing you again as well.